Coming up on golf today, it was a good Monday to be a Georgia Bulldog. Kirby and the fellas won their first national championship since 1980. And considering the team and location, our minds immediately went to Augusta in April. We'll talk way too early about the 2022 Masters. Plus, one of the coolest people in our sport joins the program to talk about the recent news involving the U.S. Women's Open, the venue this season, and how excited she was to see Clay Thompson back on the court for the Warriors. In 2022, is just getting warmed up, stretching, foam rolling, meditating. With so much set to change this year, we thought it'd be a perfect time to discuss all the new things in golf for 2022. And yes, this segment will be in the best shape of its life. Bundle up. Golf Today is now. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. A happy Tuesday, Shane Bacon, Eamon Lynch. And Eamon, we've got some breaking news surrounding Augusta National and the Masters. The Masters announced today that two-time Masters champion Tom Watson will join Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player as an honorary starter at the 86th Masters Tournament. Watson won the 1977 and 1981 Masters Tournament and finished runner-up three times at Augusta National. Tom jumped on social media, said thank you, Chairman Ridley, for this great honor. See you on the tee in April at Jack, at Gary. We'll see what Tom can do on the first tee. Last time we saw Tom play at Augusta National 2016, but excited to see Tom Watson on the tee with Jack and Gary. So many memories, Eamon, really between Jack and Tom Watson at Augusta National when you kind of dive in how Tom Watson won those two green jackets. Really, Jack is the... You know, Tom Watson beat Jack four times head-to-heads in major championships, and Lee Trevino was the only other guy who ever actually did that. There's a tremendous rivalry. Watson represents a bridging of these honorary starters into the next generation. Obviously, now Jack is, is 81 years old. Gary is 85. Watson's 70. Who follows Watson? That's a question for years down the road, we hope. But uh, it's, it's certainly a, a Mount Rushmore of golf that's going to line up on that first tee on Thursday morning. When you look at the honorary starter list, the people that have been able to, to, to do this over the years at Augusta National, you have to think of names like Ben Crenshaw and Nick Faldo as kind of players that will be at least in the running for potentially being a part of the honorary starter program at Augusta National once that is allotted to them. And I'd be interested to see who is going to be there, not just from this kind of next generation, but maybe the current generation. You think about some of the younger players that when they're 60 and 70 years old, they're not competing anymore at the Masters Tournament. Who would be there as well? I mean, are you going to see a Jordan Spieth-like, a Bubba Watson out there on the first tee? Well, at the rate he's going, Bernhard Langer might not actually take <laughs> the honorary starter role until Jordan Spieth's on the tee beside him. You know, Bernhard's still hitting tee shots at 120 years old at that point. But, yeah, there's... It, it is one of the great traditions in golf, and it was particularly special last year when we had Lee Elder there because that was for a seismic moment in, in Masters history that, that Lee Elder was there. It wasn't for necessarily for his playing record. It was merely for his presence. And the great thing about Watson is, you know, he's a, he's a kind of a stickler for tradition. He's very old school, very much in that old school sportsman's uh, realm, and he's not going to do anything or bring anyone along who will cheapen the occasion. And in, in fact, you know, he's going to put an end to what has become one of the more amusing Masters traditions, which is Gary Player announcing that he hit his ceremonial tee shot past Jack every year because I don't see him hitting it past Tom Watson. You think Gary's playing for silver is what you're telling me. I think me. Second place is going to be his ceiling when you go up against the great 
Tom Watson. Speaking of great, last night it was Georgia who took down Alabama national championship game. They won 33-18. It was that pick six late in the game that secured it for Georgia. First national championship since 1980. Kirby was excited. Kirby's vertical was impressive. Have you seen that video floating around after the pick six? And of course, with so many great players coming from Georgia on the PGA Tour, we know we'd get some praise from these guys on social media. Kevin Kisner, dogs on top. Everybody in that picture, a whole bunch of players and friends alike celebrating the first national championship since the 80s. JT says, I'm also very grateful Kevin Kisner picked the one game to beat Bama to not have a bet with me. Thank you, Kiz. Kisner, that's your fault. Get on that next time when there will be a next time. Bubba Watson, that's what I'm talking about. Love to see it. What, hashtag I need a ring? Come on, man, you got two jackets. You don't need a ring. Harry Higgs on social as well. Congrats to all my Georgia friends out on tour on finally winning one. Hope you all party really hard tonight and miss the cut this week because I bet on Bama. Brian Labner, just the last to go. You know what? He needed one less S on that tweet. It would have fit perfectly <laughs> on the screen. One too many S's on the dog's tweet. Well, we're talking about Georgia, and of course, we all get excited when the Masters inches closer and closer. So with that, Georgia is on our mind. 85 days away from the opening round of the season's first major on the men's side, the Masters tournament. Hideki Matsuyama going to be our defending champion after that great victory. April 7th through the 10th is when we'll kick that bad boy off. Look at the latest odds for the season's first major powered by Points bet, no surprise, Eamon, when you see John Rahm there at plus 900, considering not just the way he's played in majors, but the way he's played for the last year. Yeah, plus he's he's running off a four-consecutive streak here in the Masters of not finishing any worse than T9. So he certainly is a, a form horse at the golf course. Jordan Spieth at plus 1,200, you see there. So we know it's a long ways away, 85 days away. It's closer than it was yesterday, but we still got a couple of months till we get to Augusta National. It's way too early to talk about the Masters. That's why we're going to do it. What are you looking at? for the 2022 Masters as we said 85 days away. Um, I'm looking at what everyone else is looking at. Is the guy who won it three years ago going to be on the first tee Thursday morning when we get there to play the tournament? Uh, you know, Tiger's still the, the story every year with the Masters. And it seems as though every year we end up having this conversation, Tiger's coming back from injury. Is that going to be his comeback place? And I, I certainly hope it is. I'm, I'm not as optimistic as Rich Lerner was here last week on the show talking about it. But otherwise, you, you go to this, the same storyline that we seem to have talked about for the last decade now, which is Rory McIlroy and the career Grand Slam. It's 11 years since that one got away from him in, in 2011. He's a lot different golfer then, a lot, kind of, a lot more scar tissue has been accumulated over the years, and that's really his big white whale that he wants to reel in there. It'll be about how he preps as well. It seems like every year we hear from Rory McIlroy getting closer and closer to the Masters, and it's a little bit of a different approach. It's trying to downplay all the expectations of what would come if he takes home a green jacket. I mean, we've seen so many great players, Eamon, over the years not win at Augusta National, players that seemed kind of made for the Masters. You think about Ernie Els and Tom Weiskopf and David Duvall even. I mean, Greg Norman had so many opportunities there to win the Masters, but you got to win it. I mean, you have to be there on Sunday and have a chance to win and then finally pull it out. And for Rory McIlroy, it sure seems like every year it gets a little tougher to do that considering what happened the last time he was truly in contention. Sure, and he tends to get off to slow starts, which really kind of cripples him at the tournament every year. He does not put himself in the mix very often. 2018 was the last time Rory did that when he went into the final group on Sunday with Patrick Reed. But 
some guys do win the Masters. Who do you think is actually going to be the first two-time Masters winners of this generation? Because the last one we really had is the closest we have generationally is Bubba. Yeah, Bubba Watson. And really the two names I wrote down is who I'm focused on for this Masters is Bubba Watson, who's won at the Masters twice, but really doesn't have a great record outside those two victories. And then Jordan Spieth. I mean, Jordan Spieth already has a green jacket, and Jordan Spieth has been so close. When you look at his career, 2014, tied for second, 1-15, and 15, tied for second and 16, third and 18, tied for third in 2021. He's the next guy, right? I mean, he's the next guy that seems to totally understand the golf course. And no matter what form he is in headed in to the Masters, he finds it there. It feels very much like it always has with Tiger Woods, right? We don't know if Tiger's being the most dominant player in the world or if we're just seeing Tiger for the first time. We know Tiger is going to play well at Augusta National because the golf course makes sense to him. So for Jordan Spieth, last year it was kind of getting the engine going, right? Last year was trying to get that 1% better, pick up the win at the, on the PGA Tour, you know, for the first time in, in a couple of years and then get comfortable in these major championships. We saw him get in contention at the Open as well. This, to me, is the year. This is the year that Jordan should be going into Augusta National really thinking I'm the guy to beat. I know John Rahm is the odds-on favorite according to points bet, but for me right now and going forward, if Jordan Spieth is in any form at all, he's always going to be my favorite considering the way he plays this golf course. There are a lot of guys who've driven down Magnolia Lane over the years thinking I'm the guy to beat and they tend to leave without the hardware on Sunday night. It's hard to keep the pace that Jordan Spieth had when you go with the pace he had, second, first, second, in his first three years. But there's a lot of guys who seem to get this fountain of youth, this elixir when they drive down Magnolia Lane. Look at Freddie Couples every year. Look at Bernhard Langer now into his 60s and he still seems to show up and occasionally put himself on the leaderboard. To me, the curious one this year that to me, he might be the dark horse, even though we saw him prominently on the betting odds there, is Bryson. Because he's, he's always struggled there. He, his best finish ever was T21 as low amateur. T29 as a professional and four starts is his best finish. And the conventional wisdom would say that Bryson's always struggled there because Augusta National was the one tournament he played where green reading books were not permitted. You could argue now that they're not permitted anywhere on tour. Right. So Bryson has to adapt. Bryson has to find a way and learn to putt without that added layer of data. And if he figures that out by Augusta National, well, then he has every other weapon. When you think about some of the players that have won at Augusta National, I mean, hitting the ball long helps. Hitting the ball long and straight really helps. And talking about Bubba Watson and what we've seen from him over the years, of course, the two green jackets, the one other top 10. I'm waiting for Bubba to have that last run in his career because we've seen Bubba go through the ups and downs of professional golf, both personally and both professionally. I love where Bubba's at right now mentally, and I'd love to see Bubba kind of have another run, have a run in 2022 or 2023 because we know he has the distance to still contend around these golf courses, and we also know he totally understands this golf course, and it seems to fit his eye. Bryson's a guy I think we're waiting to understand the golf course, and I'd love to see Bubba to get back in contention again because to me, Bubba is, when you think about a player made for this place, Bubba is it. Hits the ball long, straight, high, moves it right to left. I mean, all these things play at Augusta. And we always talk about putting because of the greens and the undulations and how tough it is. And I've always contended that it kind of actually kind of equalizes the field, right? I mean, you've seen bad putters in theory, bad putters professional golf-wise, win at Augusta National. Bubba Watson's never going to be a guy that's going to finish 10th in strokes gained putting. But Bubba's a guy that understands how to putt around that place. So, I'd love to see Bubba get in contention at least another time, and maybe it'll be 2022. When you're a, an artist like Bubba, and I would argue that no one has played golf since Seve with that kind of pure artistry the way Bubba Watson has, then a place like Augusta National is a canvas right. for you. 
Lynx courses ought to be a canvas for Bubba as well, but they're not. And I think it's always because Bubba has seemed to struggle with the noise, the distractions, the population around him uh, at Open Championships. That's not an issue at Augusta National because everyone lives in fear of being collared by security if, if they step out of line. So it's a, a very hushed cathedral, which is why I think Bubba performs there better than anyone else. To me, the big unknown this year with Bubba is he's clearly in a better place in terms of his ability to deal with the anxiety of, of life in the public eye, which he's talked about quite openly. To me, the big question is the absence of Ted Scott on his bag, who was a great stabilizer for Bubba over the years. Yeah, on the bag for both the Masters win was Ted Scott. And speaking of Masters victories and two-time Masters champions, how about Ben Crenshaw turning 70 years old today? A big happy birthday to Ben Crenshaw, one of the greatest putters of all time. Talking about putting around Augusta National, that guy made it sing, didn't he? A happy birthday to Ben. We've got changes coming to the PGA Tour 2022, including a Saturday finish at Torrey. We're going to fill you in on everything you need to know about the changes this year. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Win Grips, the best grips in golf. And by Bushnell Golf and the Pro XE. Experience the best. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, Grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back on golf today to get you caught up on what is new in 2022. That rhymes, apparently. The Farmers Insurance Open is going to move to a Saturday finish to accommodate what PGA Tour officials are calling a crowded sports weekend. Every weekend feels a bit crowded, doesn't it, Eamon? The event will be played Wednesday to Saturday with both the conference championship games and the NFL scheduled to be played January 30th. Other changes coming to the PGA Tour schedule. Co-sanctioned event, the Genesis Scottish Open with the DP World Tour. Players will earn FedEx Cup points. The event will be played the week before the Open at St. Andrews. And there's some changes at the business end of the season as well, Shane. The FedEx Cup playoffs look a little different this year. Formerly a WGC, now the FedEx St. Jude Championship will kick off the playoff schedule in August at TPC Southwind. We're going to have our first ever PGA Tour event in Delaware, the PGA Championship at Wilmington Country Club, and then everything finishes with the Tour Championship at Eastlake. 
and the money is going to be a lot bigger at Eastlake than it's ever been before. The FedEx Cup bonus pool climbs to $75 million from 60. The player impact program, ever controversial, is now $50 million instead of 40. The Comcast Business Tour Top 10 grows to 10, from $10 million to $20 million, and prize money has increased at six marquee events. All right, Amy, what stands out to you when you kind of look at some of these changes for 2022? To me, it's the difference between what is logistical and what is existential here. In terms of the, the change at the farmers or even the waste management in Pebble flipping spots on the calendar or the Scottish Open, things like that tend to be, to me, I look at them more as schedule and planning things. The existential ones are the, the coming together of the tours, the increase in prize money, the future ch schedule changes we're going to see on the PGA Tour because all of those are very clearly designed to fend off a, a threat, however realistic it is at this stage, of a rival Super League financed by the Saudis. And that, the, it's a direct reaction to that. It's guaranteeing players money. And you see even in the six marquee events where prize money is climbing, three of those are the Genesis Invitational, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and the Memorial Tournament. Those are tournaments where the best players in the world show up. Those tournaments now actually pay more than some major championships. And I think it's, a message has been sent by the Tour in terms of kind of solidifying its base, rewarding the top players, and you're seeing the evidence of it in both schedule and money. I look at the farmers and just the idea of kind of changing some scheduling things around. I mean, we've been married to this Thursday to Sunday deal in golf for a long, long time, and I, I like the idea of just moving it around. Why not try Wednesday to Saturday? Why not try? And I think the Corn Ferry Tour should stick to this for the season. Why not go Sunday to Wednesday? People don't work traditional hours anymore. They're not going to the office and working 8 to 5. People are looking for live things on their televisions. And the fact that you could present a Corn Ferry tour to people on a Monday or a Tuesday afternoon, now all of a sudden you have something you could throw on. I and mean, we talk so much about gambling these days with our friends at PointsBet. Yeah. Now you've got something you could potentially wager on as well. People would tune into those types of things. When there are sports on, on days where there's typically not sports on, you watch. And why not give something like the Corn Ferry Tour that opportunity? I also look at the Waste Management Phoenix Open considering what's happened with the farmers, and I feel like, why not in that event on Saturday? I mean, every time we get to this event, Saturday is this enormous day, and there are 200,000 people out at the golf course, and it's crazy, and it's chaotic. And I understand that maybe that's not the environment players would want to play every week for a final round, but I thought what Paige McKenzie said yesterday about the, about the 34 under par scoring, and if you like it real low, or if you like players grinding for pars, occasionally it's great. Occasionally it's helpful. Occasionally it's nice. Why not have the final run on that Saturday? Give Sunday to the Super Bowl. They take it anyway. And let's see what happens on a Saturday when there's 300,000 people out there watching these players play for the trophy, play for that final paycheck. It's the same people who are there on Sunday. They're just waking up from having passed out they there. They slept on in their cars. Afternoon. That's right. It's, yeah, to me, the, the, the interesting thing around schedules and what days they play tournaments, that's the kind of thing that makes the, the tournament directors kind of go pale a little bit because ultimately they finance everything and make their money out of pro-ams. And it's a lot harder, I think, for them to kind of get a pro-am audience together the later in the week you get it. Wednesday is typically your pro-am day. That's where a lot of the charitable money comes from. That's where all of the organizational stuff comes from. But I'd love to see other things change as well. I'd love to see more emphasis on the, the Monday qualifiers. To me, that's the Hunger Games of professional golf. I'd love to see them actually broadcast. You know, we've got, there's a, the four spot, as they traditionally call it. Four guys just played their way into the Sony Open this week at Wailea. To me, that's real kind of drama. Those guys are out there hungry as heck. And I think 
you know, there's an audience for watching that. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, we watch some of the best in the world compete each and every week, but it's not changing their lives. It's maybe changing their career and it's changing their Wikipedia page, but it's not necessarily changing who they are. If you go out and win a players or you win a major championship or you win a FedEx Cup, that could change the next 10 years of, of, of your career. But winning week to week when you're already a superstar is not necessarily changing your life. And Monday qualifiers are seeing life-changing moments happen in front of them. And we're going to talk to Ryan French here in just a bit about exactly that. Well, let's welcome in Paige McKenzie. Paige, what stands out to you in 2022 as we see a lot of things changing? Uh, well, there's several changes on the LPGA, similar to what you're uh, referring to on the PGA Tour, uh, with schedule changes, with new events being added. But the biggest change is the leadership at the top at the LPGA Tour. We're going to see uh, Molly Marsoon, excuse me, Molly in her first year on the LPGA, taking, of course, over for Mike Wan at the end of last season. And I think there's going to be a big test ahead of her. Uh, when Michael Wan came in, he was taking over when there was a huge uh, financial crisis and he had to turn the ship around. In this case, there's huge opportunity. We're seeing a lot more companies uh, spending money for diversity and inclusion, and LPGA has been the beneficiary of that. So there's an enormous opportunity, I feel like, on the LPGA right now. So I'll be anxious to see how this new leadership team uh, that Molly has in place will be able to continue all of the good work that Mike Wan has, has done on the LPGA Tour. And Paige, we're seeing so and hopefully many. Hopefully, she'll forgive me for butchering. No, Marley Marcusimon <laughs> understands. It's not the easiest name to spit out. Paige, when you look at where the LPGA sits, and we're seeing the news with the USGA and the US Women's Open and these purse increases, it feels like it's a fluid situation. It feels like throughout 2022, we'll be seeing changes that are happening in 2022. I have a feeling it's been that way the last couple of seasons. I feel like obviously with everything going on with COVID, we've had some bad news, but we've also had some really positive news come out of the LPGA Tour as it relates to purse increases. Uh, it seems as though every press release on that December when they announce the new schedule is about historic purses. And I truly believe it is uh, the beginning of a tidal wave of these corporate sponsors really putting money where their mouth is as it relates to women's issues or diversity inclusion. You've seen how KPMG was able to leverage the LPGA event to host the Women's Leadership Conference every year. There's been moments like that on the LPGA Tour schedule where companies have been able to leverage the LPGA event to uh, accomplish their corporate goals. And I think that's a huge selling point. I think that's one of the marketing teams of the LPGA as well as the tournament owners have gone to companies to be able to sell that. Uh, so absolutely, I think we're just at the very beginning stages of what could be uh, a flood of money going into the LPGA Tour, assuming that everybody's able to capitalize, including the tournament owners as well as the LPGA Tour. Good time to be a professional golfer. Paige McKenzie, great stuff. We'll check back with you in just a bit. And with the PGA Tour headed to Wiley this week, we're going to look back at one of the all-time great rounds on the PGA Tour. JT giving us a tournament to remember when Golf Today returns. Oh, yeah. 59 with your buddies? That's good stuff.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Golf Central Update. Brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today, Aloha Swing concludes this week with the Sony Open in Hawaii at Wildlife Country Club, hosting the first full field PGA Tour event of 2022. That sunrise. That was, that was live just a few minutes ago. It looks a lot warmer than the it one It looks we warmer. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Here's some players in the field this week. Abe Anser, Stuart Sink, Harris English there. Sung Jay in the field coming off another great week. Kokrak, Mark Leishman. Hideki playing at the Sony. Kevin Na will be there as well, defending his title. And Cameron Smith. First round coverage Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Steve Burkowski joins us now from Wiley. And Steve, uh, just interested in what has been the talk of this record-breaking 34 under par scoring that we saw over the weekend at the, uh, at the Century Tournament of Champions. Well, good morning, Shane, and let me confirm with you guys, it is warm, 72 degrees on this Tuesday morning here in Honolulu, and, and I think about it, what we all got to see at Maui, or on Maui, rather, just a few days ago, 34 under par, 33 under par, 32 under par, those were the top three on the leaderboard, what Cameron Smith, John Rahm, Matt Jones, everyone, in fact, doing last week on the plantation course was simply remarkable. Now, consider the fact Maui had about five inches of rain leading up uh, into the start of that tournament. And I don't recall four days consecutively of very little wind for the best players in the world to deal with it. Justin Thomas shoots 61. He sets a new course record on Saturday. John Rahm, well, he matches it 90 minutes later. Matt Jones does the same on Sunday. And consider that Matt Jones shoots 123 on the weekend. Doesn't win the golf tournament. It was one of those weeks I don't know if we'll ever see again or uh, no time soon, at least, in terms of the conditions and the world's best. It was sort of a perfect match. But Cameron Smith, what I took away from it, toe-to-toe -to -toe with world number one, John Rahm, on both Saturday and Sunday, and took every punch and kept throwing punches right back. And in the end, he was the man at the top of the leaderboard by just a single shot. Berko, what about conditions this week at Wiley? Well, it's certainly a very different golf course for all the ele elevation changes we saw a week ago on Maui. Very little elevation changes here, a much shorter golf course. 
And something to keep in mind, a couple of players, veterans who have been out here 10, 15 times through the years said they've never seen the rough as thick and as high as it is right now. Begs the question, why? How about 10 inches of rain on this golf course last week? There were certain holes that were underwater. It's going to be very interesting to see that dynamic of does this golf course soften up or is it going to be receptive as we saw a week ago? But again, keep an eye on the rough. I'll get more details as this week moves on to what the uh, agronomy staff and the PGA Tour have in mind in terms of setting it up. But uh, as we've seen here, they go low quite often might be the case here again this week, Shane. Back on golf today. Let's take you back to the 1999 U.S. Women's Open. Old Waverly Golf Club. Julie Inkster finished the week at 16 under par to pick up the five-stroke win for her first U.S. Women's Open title in her 20th attempt. But she was not done, Eamon. Oh, she was not done. We'll go to 2002. It was her second win at the U.S. Women's Open, this time at Prairie Dunes Country Club. They got a picture of Julie in there. It's a big old picture as well. Two strokes ahead of Annika Sorenstam. The win was her seventh major championship in fourth in four years. And of course, the big news over the last week with the U.S. Women's Open presenting sponsor, updated purse. You see there, 2022 champions going to take home 1.8 million. The purse goes from 5.5 million to 10 million dollars. And the USGA committing to raise the U.S. Women's Open purse to 11 million and 12 million over the next five years. Why are we talking about Julie Inkster so much? Well, she's going to join us. That's part of the reason. Joy, Julie joining us now from a much warmer location. And Julie, before we get into the U.S. Women's Open talk, can I ask your excitement level from one to the 1999 U.S. Women's Open for Clay to return to the Warriors? I mean, that was <laughs> what we all wanted to see on Sunday. Oh my God, my Niners pulled out a win and then Clay returned. It was the best Sunday in a long time, that's for sure. Got a chance to watch some Warrior games with you over the years. Always entertaining to do. All right, let's transition to the recent news from the USGA. What was your reaction when you heard how much the purse would be jumping with the addition of ProMedica? Well, I went out and uh, started hitting some golf balls. I <laughs> thought maybe I could qualify. But, uh, no, I, I, think it's, I think it's a great move, not only for women's golf, but for women's sports. Uh, ProMedica really stepping up. Um, you know, kind of putting their money where their mouth is. They were a great sponsor for the Solheim Cup. And uh, I, I just think it's, you know, you got KPMG doing um, the LPGA Championship. You got Chevron that's going to take over the ANA. Uh, it's really fun to watch how the LPGA, you know, it's kind of a standalone um, um, tour. And, you know, we have never had any help from the outside. And, from um, where we started and where we are now, it's kind of exciting to see. Julie, when you won your second US Open back in 2002, you won $535,000. But back in your rookie year, Jan Stevenson won in 83 and she won less than $33,000. Did you ever imagine that you would see the day where the US Women's Open champion would receive a check for 1.8 million? Well, I was hoping to, Eamon, that's for sure. But you know what, it's like, you know, Jan Stevenson and the Whitworths and the Carners and the Bradleys, they really set the tone for me. And, you know, hopefully I can help. I helped out in setting the tone for the younger generation coming up. I mean, that's all part of growing the game and, and um, you know, keeps the game evolving. You know, nothing really stays the same. Records are made to be broken. And hopefully, you know, the LPGA purses are made to be broken. Julie, it isn't just about the money, the venues, the prestige. It's making the U.S. Women's Open feel as big as it is to the players. What's the players' reaction to this news over the last week 
Well, it's nothing but positive. Um, you know, not only, like you said, not only the purse, but the venues that we're going to be playing. I mean, these are the venues we should be playing. These are the venues that help us gain our fan base because everybody wants to see how the ladies played at Pinehurst after watching Martin Keimer win his um, U.S. Open, you know, and then Michelle Wee came in and, and did an incredible, incredible job there. Uh, and then, you, you know, everybody wants to see how we do at Pebble Beach uh, next year, you know, because there's so much history. You know, and the more we can bring history to the LPGA, the bigger the bigger the game is. But also, I mean, winning a U.S. Open, I even ha hate to admit this, but I would I would have played for free if I could have won a U.S. Open. Um, you know, it's just the, as a, an American, your national championship, that's a, that's a prize you want to win. Julie, you've tried quite recently to qualify for the U.S. Women's Open. Yeah. Pebble Beach is a pretty much a home game for you. Do you look at some of these venues and think, you know, you, you want to enter the qualifier again because you'd like to be there as a competitor? You know, uh, Shane knows me, and I, I will probably try to qualify for the uh, Open at Pebble just because uh, there's so many years I wanted to play Pebble for, for the U.S. Open. And, I mean, I, I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't try um, because I think it would be amazing for me to be able to play there. Um, I've played there so many times, and it's right in my backyard, and I've watched so, many, so much history um, from Watson, the kite, to Tiger, and to be able to watch um, a woman win at Pebble Beach and raise that trophy would be amazing. Julie, I think I know the answer to this question. But uh, if you don't qualify, let's say you don't qualify in to Pebble Beach and the USGA calls and says they're going to give you a, an invitation into the championship, would you say yes? Would you take the invite? I don't know. I, I would probably want to try to qualify. Try to, I, I, you know, I kind of like to earn my way in. I understand. I understand. Julie, yeah. what is uh, what are we what are we putting in these days in terms of practice hours? I mean, are we are well, we upwards I, of five hours a day? I haven't been doing much. You know, I'm getting my daughters married. So, <laughs> um, you know, we, we had one wedding last month and I got another one in April. So um, I'm trying to do the motherly thing and, and try to get involved, which is really not my uh, up my alley as far as planning weddings. But I'm learning more and more. So. But you know, you know me, Shane. I love to play. I got a great group out here, and and um, Lakita, I play with. Um, I'm trying to uh, make some money for those wedding funds, and 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 enjoying my life out here. I still to this day remember playing Aaron Hills with you, and you hit a wedge shot, and Paul Azinger wasn't even facing you, and he turned around, looked at me, and goes, "That's the sound of golf, right there." Julie Inkster <laughs> hitting a solid wedge shot. Julie, we always appreciate the time. Come on the show anytime. Hey, I love, love talking to you guys. Keep warm out there, buddy. We're trying to. That's why this okay. thing is as heavy as it is. Julie Inkster, the great <laughs> Julie Inkster. Hopefully we will see her at Pebble Beach in the upcoming years. Look at the venues for the U.S. Open upcoming as well. We got Pine Needles. We got Pebble, Inkster, Aaron Hills, and Riv as well. And how about the fashion on the PGA Tour over the years in Hawaii? When you go to Hawaii, you got to dress a little different. Ricky did it. We're going to dive into some of the famous, famous Hawaii looks from over the years. Still to come on Golf Today, Madeline Sagstrom joins us from the GameBridge LPGA Media Day to talk about her 2021 golf boot camp and her takeaways from her run last season at the AIG Women's Open. Plus, the man behind Monday Q, Ryan French, jumps on the phone to dish on a crazy, crazy mini-tour story out of Orlando. Players owed money, sketchiness galore, a story you need to read and an interview you'll need to watch. 
And rumor has it there's a 10-year challenge floating around on social media. We thought you'd experiment with it. Look back on what happened 10 years ago at the Sony, the winners, the fashion, and our own fashion. It's not good. Golf Today continues on. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Shane and Eamon, second hour of golf today on a Tuesday. I mean, we just got a chance to talk to the great Julie Inkster in the first hour. And uh, Julie talking about, you know, working on her game and trying to get closer and closer to qualifying for the U.S. Women's Open. We need to see Julie at Pebble Beach. I don't know who we need to talk to, who at the USGA we need to talk to, but Julie needs to be at that U.S. Women's Open. Yeah, and the USGA has shown great aptitude over the years for giving well-deserved exemptions into the U.S. Open and even to the U.S. Senior Open. It's time we started to see some of that in the U.S. Women's Open as well, and there's not going to be anyone more deserving almost any year, but particularly on the West Coast at Pebble Beach than Julie Engster. Considering her record in USGA championships, not just at U.S. Women's Open, but her run at the U.S. Women's Amateur and how dominant she was then and how impressive she's been throughout her career. I mean, she's one step away from winning the Amateur and the Open and the U.S. Senior Women's Open. Only Jack and Arnie have ever done that, won a senior and open and an amateur and Julie's been so close hopefully she gets that as well well there are players to watch in 2022 and we will look at Madeline Sagstrom because she had a very very solid 2021 take it back to 2020 if you remember Sagstrom won the Gamebridge LPGA her first LPGA Tour title it was her 69th career start Madeline emotional after the victory had so much success, if you remember, on the Symmetra Tour, led the money title there to get on to the LPGA Tour. This past season also competed in the Olympics, finishing in a tie for 20th dreams come true, she said on social media. And then it was just two, week, two weeks later, Eamon, if you remember, she finished in a tie for second at the AIG Women's Open at Carnoustie. Oh, so close. It was a bogey at the last, but it was kind of the first time she'd really felt those major championship emotions and it was so impressive to watch her try to close that out we'll see what she can do in the majors in 2022 but the year was not done i mean she's on the solheim cup team as well another victory for the europeans on home soil as well here in the united states raising the trophy having a big big 2021 and Madeline joins us now. Madeline, it was a wild 2021 for you with the regular LPGA schedule. You played in the Olympics. You nearly won the AIG Women's Open, played on the winning Solheim Cup team. How would you assess your 2021? It was a very busy summer, to say the least. But it's, uh, I mean, after all, when I look back at it, it was my best season on tour so far. I didn't get a win like I did in 2020, but still, it, it was really one of those uh, steps that I needed in my career. Madeline, it's the Gamebridge. You're going back to the same venue where you won the tournament two years ago, having skipped to a different course last year. Does that give you some feeling of comfort or does it just kind of reinforce how impatient you are for win number two? Well, I think, I mean, it's, I'm slightly biased, obviously. It's nice to go back where you have great memories and it's just, uh, it's, it's a good feeling to come back and just uh, just to go back and experience that in your mind again. So I'm, I'm very excited. I, I think it may be a little bit more pressure on myself this year than, rather than last year when I was defending champion, just because I did win on this site. So I'm excited to see where my game is at and to play this course again.
You know, 2022, we do not have the Olympics. We do not have a Solheim Cup. Where does your focus surrounding those big events transfer to in 2022? I think that most golfers, I mean, we try to go out and win every event that we play. So that's kind of my my mindset is still like I really would like that uh, my second win to come this year and um, and obviously playing great in majors so I took a big step in that last year and having that second finish at the IG British Open so I think if I can kind of continue along those lines I hope that can happen I might have a little bit more breathing space without having those uh, really huge events there so it's uh, it's going to be a fun year I'm excited for it. That second place finish at Carnoustie last year in the AIG Women's Open was your first time contending in a major championship. And you bogeyed the last hole, fell one back of Anna Nordquist. What did you take away from that experience? Well, I had a few uh, other tournaments in last year that I, I played well, but I just couldn't really pull a Sunday off. So for me, I kind of proved to myself that week, especially I'm on, on a difficult golf course in a major championship, that I can really pull out a good Sunday. It's... Uh, it just showed that I have the game to compete. And um, I mean, I was just, I was obviously a little bit sad to finish in the bogey, but just being up there, being in it, and just having those emotions, being nervous, being excited, and all of that, that's really what we play for. So just having those moments where you're in contention, uh, it's just, I mean, you learn from that. And that's really how you're going to pull the next trigger to win them. You posted on Instagram today that your yearly training camp is over. So what is your yearly training camp? How many days? Who is involved? What are the hours like? Well, we've actually been starting doing a little trend probably the last three or four years. My coach Hans Larsen comes over from Sweden. I still my high school coach from it must be 13 and a half years now. So he comes over, brings his son, who's a really good golfer, aspiring to go to college and and we both work with, uh, he works with Robert Carlson too. So it's, uh, it's kind of, I was looking at it too. It's kind of like a three, uh, three generations kind of golfer uh, coming together and just sharing experience, putting in the hours, putting in the time and just uh, trying to learn from each other and, and just bring our games to the best level we can do. And probably it was a good five, five days with practice. So the camp and the preparation is over. So what are the goals in 22? Is it oriented towards specific improvements in your game that you want to make? Or is it tournament results you want to accomplish? Well, I think the biggest, the biggest way to measure my tiny goals is to see the results, obviously. And I think that uh, I have... If I continue to improve my games, I think I can reach those goals. I mean, I would like to. I have I have some goals to stay up in the on the rankings and and stuff like that. But I really do want to improve, especially if I, I think if I improve my driving, uh, hit a little bit more fairways, I'm going to improve my score too. So they kind of go hand in hand. I, I've been working a lot on consistency in my iron play the last few years, which has really showed off in 2021. So this year, I still have a lot of focus on my driver and the wedges to really give myself more birdie opportunities. Madeline, we've spent the last week here praising the USGA and what's happened with the U.S. Women's Open. What was your reaction when you heard the news of the purse boost and the new sponsorship and all that going down here at the U.S. Women's Open? I'm just so proud of what the LPGA has done over the last few years. And it's, everybody's working so hard on stepping up the women's game. And it's just it's just all the hard work paying off. It's, it's, it's great to be actually get to enjoy it and get to play these tournaments that are growing. And I'm just really proud of the tour, proud of what uh, what everybody's done. And I'm super excited to see the women's game growing and all the ambassadors we have for it. It's, it's just such a lovely game and the talent out there is unlimited. So it's really good to see that it's uh, it's stepping up. 
Well, thanks so much for taking a few minutes for us today and good luck in 2022. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you. We'll talk soon. PJ Tour off and running here in 2022. Look at the notable golf tour return dates. You see the DP World going to get going January 20th through the 23rd. Corn Ferry Tour starts on Thursday. PJ Tour champions, they're going to be in Hawaii too. You jealous of that already? That's the range I spent a few days. I love that golf course. I hope my divots have healed. January 20th, the LPJ returns at the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. Time now for Tell Me I'm Wrong. Paige McKenzie joins us. And Paige, what do you have for us this week? What do we need to tell you you're right and wrong about? <laughs> it's a little LPGA themed. Tell me I'm right or wrong. Um, and I'm going to start with Yuka Sasso. Uh, this was with a breakout star of 2021, winning the Women's U.S. Open. She has gone on to prove herself fourth in total driving on the LPGA, top 10 in the putting categories. So, Yuka Sasso, tell me I'm wrong, will win another major this season. I think you're wrong on this one, Paige, only because she's made 10 starts in tour events since she won the US Women's Open. And her form has been kind of middling, and she gives me the impression of somebody who's still adjusting to the spotlight and scrutiny that she's in at the age of 20. And she's actually made news outside of the golf course as well. You know, she showed up at Torrey Pines with a trophy during the US Open. She was at the Century last week in Maui. She certainly has this kind of inquisitiveness about the game and the broader golf world around her, but I think the distractions are going to take her perhaps another year or two to accustomed to. Uh, too talented. She's winning again. Paige is right on this one. You're wrong. Paige, way to go on that. That's one for one for Paige. You're over. Shane, one. you're my favorite guy in a red sweater today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Red or orange, right. it just depends. It depends on how you squint. You know? <laughs> what else you got for us? Well, uh, we've got the first LPGA event of the season coming up, and there's only one name that I'm keeping my eye on, and that's Jessica Corda. Uh, she has an incredible history at the first event of the season or her first start of the season. In fact, she's won six times on the LPGA Tour. Four of those wins were in the season opening event. She also has two runner-up finishes. She has also earned 16% of her career earnings in just that first event in the last 10 years. Worst finish, tie for 21. And that's before that it was just a tournament of Champions Field, which has only been the case for the last couple of years. So for that reason, tell me I'm wrong. Jessica Corda is going to defend her title this season in that opening event. I mean, she shot 60 in the third round last year. She shot 11 under, and that helped obviously vault her for the championship. I'm not sure I'll see a 60 out of her again. And I'm just playing numbers here. I know, I know, Paige, I know you look at numbers a lot. I'm just going to play the number game considering the depth of talent. I don't think she defends, but I do love where you're at with this because there have been players, Eamon, that typically either play well early in the season or late in the season, and that trend does continue. And Jessica Corda is one of those players. Four of her six career wins have come in January or February, so I'm agreeing with Paige here and declaring you out of bounds. Here. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Paige, you got another one for I us? I think either way... If you're ch either way, you got to be looking at her for some sort of top 10. If you're trying to play uh, points bet, uh, keep an eye on that over the next week or so before the LPGA finally tees it up. Now, my final, tell me I'm wrong. We've got Jin Young Ko, who won five LPGA events. Nelly Korda won four LPGA <laughs> events last season. So tell me I'm wrong. The pair of them are going to win at least nine times again this season. That's a pretty high bar to set, Paige, but I don't think you're wrong simply because they have separated themselves 
so much from the rest of the LPGA Tour. You know, they're number one and two in the world rankings. The gap between Jin Young Ko at number two and Lydia Ko at number three is the same as the gap between Lydia Ko and number 49 in the rankings. So they, they are so <laughs> distanced from everyone else that I absolutely think it's within the realm of possibility. I, I think we're going to see more. I mean, I, I think we'll see 10, 11, 12. And when we look at with where the LPGA is at right now and how popular it is, it's helped by these two players. It's a true rivalry that we have. We haven't seen a true rivalry in golf in a long, long time. And I think these players push each, push each other. And I don't think if you had, if you lost one of these players on the LPGA Tour, I'm not sure the other one would be as successful. So I do think so. As you're looking at 2022, I think because of the other players player being involved I think we'll see more wins out of these two players understanding that if they don't keep winning if they don't keep the pedal down to the floor that they're going to get passed by the other I agree, and even if you take into account there were technically 10 wins last year, if you include Nelly Corda's gold medal, uh, there actually is a lower standard maybe for them next season or this coming season. Uh, I just have enjoyed this rivalry, and I expect it to continue. Yeah, the great rivalry in golf. Paige, we appreciate the time. And, and Eamon, I'm just so interested in Nelly Corda's season this year mm -hmm. because last year was the breakout year, and we've seen players have the breakout year. We talk so much about following up the good round with another great round following up a good season with another great season is very tough to do because if you don't win if we're sitting here a year from now and Nelly won twice we're going to be sitting here talking about how disappointing 2022 was for Nelly Corda and it would certainly be disappointing for her but I think what separates Nelly Corda and an advantage she has that it's kind of hard to quantify is this athletic ecosystem that she lives in can you imagine being unathletic in that family I mean, both of her parents are professional athletes. Her sister is every bit the golfer Nelly is. Her brother is a terrific tennis player who made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon last year. And I think that is, living in that environment and that driven environment with the expectations attached to it, but within your own family and the support system, I think is a huge thing for her. And it has been, what, 20 years since we've had a rivalry in this game? And it was a women's rivalry the last time around as well with Annika Sorenstam and Carrie Webb. This seems to be the only clear shot I see in this entire game right now of a rivalry that will engage people. A, a rivalry because of play. I mean, we had obviously we had Bryson and Brooks, and that was a rivalry made with social media and comments and things like that. But with a rivalry out on the golf course, when we talk about Nelly, I feel like we don't talk enough about Jin Young Ko and what she's able to do on the golf course. Is Jin Young Ko the most underrated, underappreciated player in golf today? Sure, because she goes around her business with this clinical detachment of a pathologist. I mean, she's not out there trying to do what Bryston Brooks do and have these kind of schoolyard spats for social media. She does all of her talking with her clubs. And I think that is kind of what we want in this game right now. We've got all the social media stuff we can handle. Let's see a rivalry that's actually based on performance. See a rivalry, see the tournament, see the play. Let's see some playoffs. Let's see it happen in the big events. That's what we're hoping for. Is this orange or red? It's hideous, whichever well, one it is. Fine, but it, but it's hideous. But it's not, not the, the worst answer. thing I've ever seen you wear. Is it orange or red? Paige said it was red. Can it be both? Feels like it's orange. Let's do that as a poll on social media. All right, the 10-year challenge has made its social media return in 2022. Oh my goodness, Ricky Fowler. We look back at golfers then and now. Maybe you'll see uh, our photos as well. You're gonna see our photos as well. Golf today. Brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And by the new Pink Glide Forged Pro Wedges. Get fit today.
Talking about full fields this week at the Sony Open, meaning we have a Monday qualifier, a look at the players that got through. Sandy Ogletree got through 2019 U.S. Amateur Champion. B.J. Doucette qualifying as well. He shot 63 to get through. Ryan French, who runs the Monday Q Twitter account, does an unbelievable job giving out these nuggets. He gave up golf after a good college career at UC Riverside. Did Doucette. He didn't touch a club for a few years. Life got in the way. But after selling insurance and giving up, being able to play a little more, he got the itch. He eventually quit his job. He shot 63, and he's playing on the PGA Tour, Eamon. Well, you used to play the Monday Qs and the Mini Tours. Maybe there's still hope for you, Sean. No, no, the hope is gone. You should have seen my golf game this weekend. I, I am not BJ Doucette, I'll tell you that right now. I, I am a, I'm going to be the club pro guy. Well, <laughs> Mini Tour golf is wild. It is crazy. And how about this story about the big money golf classic a high stake event where they haven't players have not been paid out total of around three hundred thousand dollars it is a big big issue this from ryan on social media i hate that i had to write this story i wish i didn't have to players not being paid courses not being paid pj sections not being paid investors title sponsors missing entry fees this is a complete story of the big money classic and I urge you to go read that at Fire Pit Collective because it is wild. Ryan joins us now. And Ryan, first things first, can you just take us through this story from the beginning? How does $300,000 go unaccounted for? Yeah, guys, I'm not sure we have enough time to, to cover the whole story. But, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, I wish it was under different circumstances. But, um, yeah, so the Big Money Classic uh, was put on over. This is the second time. Entry fee, uh, like you talked about, Shane, is big. It's, uh, it was $2,799, so $2,800. Um, they promised a purse of 400000 Last year, uh, everybody got paid. Now, I've learned some things since then that, that the winner, Adam Svensson, um, was paid over a 12-month period. But um, this year, they had a men's event. They are They were planning to have a women's event, and then they were going to I actually do a tour that chased Monday qualifiers. So the tournaments were going to be the Tuesday and Wednesday after Monday qualifiers in the same area. So um, the men's event, uh, I caddied in it. And, you know, it was what a quote unquote a normal uh, mini, mini tour event. And then I started to hear that players hadn't been paid. Uh, Dustin Manning is the owner of the Big Money Classic. I started to reach out to him. And um, there was there's a some money being held by Square, the credit card processing um, things. The, the course hasn't been paid. The PJ section hasn't been paid. So there is some money available in Square. I've confirmed that with Square, but it doesn't equal the amount that uh, is paid. And the girls event, which has now been canceled, um, have not been refunded. Ryan, between the, the ladies looking for refund, the players actually looking for their prize money, and then the various vendors involved, what are the realistic chances of people being able to recover their money in a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, Dustin, Dustin has, has been open, has called me a lot. Um, you know, he said, he said his number one goal is to get players paid back. Um, you know, it's hard to look at the math and think that that's going to happen. You know, um, a rough estimate is it looks like, and these are just the outstanding bills that I know about, um, that around 472,000, that's a rough, is owed. And there, there seems to be 254 
thousand in this square account. Um, besides that, I, I I mean, Dustin's been open that there isn't any money. So although his goal is to get everybody paid, and I hope that that's the case, and it seems that he really wants to, I'm not sure the math makes sense. So at, at this point, I really hope that players get the entire 254 and get dispersed. I, I think it's somewhat of a, a a pipe dream at this point that to think that everybody's going to get all their money back. Ryan, what are the players saying to you? I mean, you get a lot of DMs. You got a lot of messages from these players, not just that play on the PJ Tour and Corn Ferry Tour, but play on these mini tours. What are these players saying? Because, I mean, this is how they live. I mean, this is how they pay for rent. This is how they pay for food. And, I mean, you compete to get a check to continue the dream. What are these players saying to you about the frustration with this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it runs the gamut of, somewhat not surprised, um, all the way to, you know, very angry. There's a lot of players that are very, very angry. Um, you know, uh, uh, Landon Mickelson, um, you know, he, he got some money, but uh, he didn't get all of his money. He struggled to, uh, to sign up for Canadian Q School. And if he didn't, that could have affected his career. You know, what happens in Canada could mean so many things to him. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that are very, very angry. And, and it, it just has a trickle-down effect. I mean, uh, Nicholas Echeverria had a backer from his club that, that paid for him. And he went to his, to his backer and said, hey, I haven't been paid. And his backer didn't believe him. Now, that obviously, once the story broke and he started to show him some things that this was that case, um, you know, that, that got cleared up. But there's so many people affected. And then, guys, the, the, the biggest thing is the women not getting the refund. This just doesn't happen a lot on the women's side. And, um, you know, I talked to a girl yesterday who just had no idea what was going on. And, I mean, she was crying on the phone with me. It's, uh, you know, $3,000 to men or women uh, is a lot in the mini tour world. But especially for women, it's just not a lot of places in the developmental tour world where a woman can make up $3,000. It's a little bit easier on the men's side. Not that there's a lot of money on the men's side, but, um, you know, everybody is is relatively angry or hurt or uh, those kind of things. This can have an effect on, on players' careers. That's, that's just the bottom line. Ryan, moving beyond just the big money classic, the, the, the entire world of mini tours is, is pretty combustible because on one side you've got a lot of players who are desperately hungry for the next opportunity and the next big thing and on the other side you have a lot of promoters who are untested and unproven and, and on occasion untrustworthy. How often does this actually happen in the mini golf world where there, there simply is not money to pay people who've won that money? Yeah, too often is the answer um, and, and uh, I talked to a mini, the, the opening quote of the story um, is, you know, a, a mini tour owner who runs a, a very reputable one. And there is reputable mini tours out there. Yeah. His quote was, unfortunately, this happens about every five to eight years. I mean, the U.S. Pro Tour, uh, the National Pro Tour, the Hawaiian Tour, the Hopkins Tour. It's unfortunately, uh, Matt Janelle was playing with a couple of guys when this story broke. And um, he said, you know, they just laughed like, oh, yep, it's happened again. And and that's very unfortunate. It's unfortunate for everybody in, in the players. Obviously, uh, the reputable mini tours that are out there um, suffer. You know, I talked to Christian from the West Florida tour and 
I mean, you know, it has an effect on everybody. Um, there is good tours out there, but unfortunately this happens way, way too often. And at the end of the day, it, you know, it can affect or in a worst case scenario end someone's career. Um, many tour players as, as Shane has, has lived this life, live paycheck to paycheck a lot of the time. And when $3,000 disappears, or, you know, if you won $20,000, that affects what events you can plan and win and uh, all those things. It's just a trickle down effect that is, it is, it's, it's bad for everybody. Ryan, I mean, you, you started a case of the Golf Mondays. You started this to kind of highlight names and stories that didn't get talked about enough. And now you get these stories occasionally sent your way. What's it like attacking a story like this versus maybe what your dream was to start this account and now what you're doing for a living when it's a positive story? Yeah, I, I mean, this story just stinks, honestly. I had, there, there's no fun in this. I, I definitely didn't start this account to to tell it, uh, stories like this. But also, I think the positive out of it, if there is any, and, and there isn't a lot, is that hopefully it makes people aware, now that I have a little bit of a platform, I'm very lucky to have that, is that players and parents and agents are aware that this happens. Um, I hope that's that's what comes from it. Um, but yeah, there's zero fun. Um, you know, talking to Dustin, who at least it seems um, he, he feels remorseful. Why he feels remorseful is, is up for debate, obviously. But, you know, he seems like he wants to play players. And, you know, he's uh, calling me. I don't want to talk to have those conversations. I don't want to. I don't want to. It's no fun to have players call me and, and tell how this affects their career. Girl, you know, women crying on the phone, guys crying on the phone. It's just. This isn't why I wanted to start this account by any means, but uh, it's part of this life, and it's an important part to, to, to tell, I believe, because it's, it happens. Ryan, we'll end on something positive. B.J. Doucette was a story that we opened this interview with and his ability to kind of come back to golf and find a way to go out there and put together a 63. These are the stories that I think kind of blew up your social media account or the stories of the players that gave the game up and came back to it. What's the common theme when you talk to these players that quit golf, returned to it, and then found success? I mean, I think I, what I love, guys, about Monday qualifiers is that, you know, a, an insurance salesman like BJ can play on the PGA Tour. I mean, I say it often, is there's no free throw contest to play for the Lakers. There's no uh, home run derby to play for the Yankees. And to tee it up and just be play an awesome 18 holes and then be on the on the PGA Tour the next day is is something that is just unlike anything in sports um and so I think that carrot Ed Lore said it best is like one more year one more year that carrot out there is so big it's hard to turn it down when there is no one to tell you you're not big enough or tall enough or fast enough to do it you just have to have money and you you tee it up and so that carrot that in five rounds, the Monday qualifier qualifier plus four rounds in the PGA Tour can truly change your life. And there's way too many instances that it's happened. So a lot of players just think they can be that person. And, you know, that's why you see 150 guys at a, at a pre-qualifier.
Ryan does an unbelievable job. Make sure you follow his account and follow all of his work at A Case of the Golf One. One of the truly unique accounts in all of golf. Well, Ryan, we always appreciate what you do and appreciate your time.